in this time. Hi, Florian. This is Sudeep here. Hello. How are you, Sudeep? I'm fine. Good to hear from you. Yes. Thanks for picking up my call. Um, so, we're going to actually have a short interview, and I would like to share with our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and the organization before I go with the questions. Is that okay with you? Yes, very happy to be with you. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. So, uh, I hope it's, uh, it's, is it a sunny right now in Germany, Berlin? It's sunny but cold. Obviously, mm. it being November, you know, we're going down towards the zero degree mark, but at least it's sunny. Excellent. Okay. So, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, we're having here a conversation with Mr. Florian Westphal, the General Director of MSF Germany, which is based in Berlin. MSF, or famously known as Doctors Without Borders or Medicine on Pairs, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yes, it, you did. It's a private international association. The, the association is made up mainly of doctors and health sector workers and is also open to all professions which might help in achieving its aims. All of its members agree to honor the following principles, which is to provide assistance to populations in distress, to victims of natural or man-made disasters, and to victims of armed conflict and to observe neutrality and impartiality in the name of universal medical ethics and the right to humanitarian assistance, and claims full and unhindered freedom in the exercise of its functions. Well, that's a mouthful. Uh, MSF's principle is to ensure its actions are guided by medical ethics and the principles of independence and impartiality. So, welcome, Florian, and I've got some questions for you on this topic, which I'm sure our listeners, particularly in the non-profit sector all over the world, will be interested to hear from you. And that's on this issue of branding and perception. Um, so, as basically uh, the general director of MSF, uh, in which you've been holding a position for a while, uh, when when does one know when the brand of a non-profit organization becomes really mainstream within society and stakeholders? And what does it take for a brand to be regarded as being well sought after, or even for that matter, highly professional? I'd like to hear your views on that. Yes, you know, uh, very happy to be with you. Uh, the, the first question really is, when do you know? Well, obviously, in most societies, most markets these days, you can you know, commission surveys and, and probably spend a lot of money on that uh, to find out what the public knows about your organization, what values and attributes it associates with your organization. So what do they think is most important about your organization? Uh, what what do they recognize when they hear the name Doctors Without Borders in Germany? What do people think of first? We hope they think of the words medical and humanitarian and emergency interventions, help for people in need and things like that. But if you're small, very often you don't necessarily have the means really to pay for that because it can be quite expensive. So the first thing is really just to start with your own environment. I mean, you can literally start asking, you know, the people around you, the people who work for you, um, if they know about the organization you represent and what they know about this organization. And to really start up building up uh, your, your understanding of the perception of your organization from that very small vantage point. I think it's also important to bear in mind that not every organization really needs to be known by the public at large to be able to do its job. Um, you know, we are in a society of 80 million people in Germany. Uh, we are certainly very well known amongst people who 
have an overall general interest in you know, supporting international emergency aid, uh, often people who are associated with the medical profession and hence have heard of us, but there are still you know, large parts of the German public who have probably never heard of us, or even if they've heard the name, they can't associate anything in particular with it. And you know, you've got to be realistic. Uh, is, is that really your top priority, that everyone knows what you do? Is that really what you need to be able to conduct your, your operations? Overall, it's pretty clear that for an organization such as ours, uh, this, the brand, the reputation, the way you're perceived by your real supporters and your potential supporters is absolutely vital. Bear in mind that you know, we as Doctors Without Borders, we don't conduct any medical projects in Germany. So people in Germany cannot see firsthand what it is we do. So obviously we rely a lot on the, the, the image and the impressions of our projects and our work worldwide that we can communicate, but also that are communicated by the media. On what people hear about our work and whether the impression they get uh, corresponds to what they expect from us. That's really interesting, Florian, and I like that point where you mentioned that it's not necessarily uh, for every organization to really go out there and make itself known. And that that's pertinent because it does raise a lot of questions, uh, particularly on people's reputation. And this leads me to my next question. I mean, what do you think would be some of the reputational risks, I mean, for board and top management to consider, especially when it comes to small or big uh, whether they are known or not known, about this this perception about whether they are seen to be in positive light or they are aligning to the principles of mission, especially in this day and age when there's so many people checking on people. Um, I, honestly, the 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 elements of risk uh, linked to our reputation are extremely important for us. So, if you look at our risk register, which is one of our management and leadership tools that we have for the organization, and which we look at regularly as a management team together with our governance, with our board, you will find a number of risks that are linked to our reputation and to our perception. And obviously the concern about that is that, you know, inadvertently you can end up uh, with uh, some serious damage being done to your perception and your reputation. Um, for, you know, you, you are not, but you're not at fault at all. Um, very often, for example, you know, if you want, you have a sort of broader sector of organizations here in Germany that do humanitarian work, uh, very often you know, in conflict areas, uh, natural disasters, etc. And we are one of those organizations. Now, typically what might happen is that another organization uh, gets involved in some sort of scandal, and that has a negative impact on the perception of the sector as a whole, including on us. So a lot of the time, that risk, you will not be able to fully control it, but you need to be able to monitor it and to, to closely follow and to closely track what is going on. Um, the other thing is that reputation is, is really at the core of, of the relationship we have with our supporters, whether our supporters are private donors, and we basically depend 100% on private donors, so we don't get any government funding whether your supporters are the people who might be interested in working in our field projects around the globe, currently in places like Yemen or Bangladesh or South Sudan or Nigeria, 
doctors and other medics who want to get involved and work in those, or whether our supporters are actually our own staff who work for us here in Berlin. So, you know, our reputation, the extent to which these people trust us, the extent to which they believe that uh, what we say is actually also reflected in what we do is crucial. I want to highlight a couple of key elements uh, of our reputation that really matter a lot to the Please way do. we are perceived by our supporters. And one of them is transparency. So people really expect us to be totally uh, transparent, uh, both uh, about the impact our work has in the field, about how we manage our finances, again, bearing in mind that it's all money provided by individual donors, mostly small donors. Um, but, uh, but also transparency uh, about the mistakes we make. And I would argue that it's very, very painful to have to admit to mistakes and to have to open up uh, uh, you know, to your supporters by saying we've made a mistake. I would argue, though, that you know, on balance, it, it is actually positive. It is very often taken very positively by your supporters to be humble about what it is you can achieve, but also where you fail and that you're trying to learn so you can do better. That's a good attribute, a good reputation, a good image to have. Another one I want to highlight, which is very important for us here, is independence. And independence from government is something that our supporters value very highly as an aspect of MSF's image. That independence is lived out both in the field where we conduct our own independent needs assessments and try and really then decide on our own projects without necessarily being directed by any government or any conflict party. But it's also financial independence here in Germany, the fact that we don't take money from the German government. Now, that's a really important uh, element of our reputation because people uh, see that and they say, okay, well, that means these people really can decide just on the basis of medical needs. They're not directed by political interests. And that, that's, uh, again, the, the point you just raised about transparency, being independent, and the trust, it all falls back on at the board and top management about those decision-making processes, right? And because at the end of the day, whether they choose to be transparent or choose to be basically independent, there has to be some decision-making that happens at these levels. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. There has to be some decision-making, and, and it really also fundamentally always boils down uh, at the board level, at the executive leadership level, as to what do you want this organization to be? I mean, this is at the end of the day also a decision we have to take ourselves and we have to re-examine constantly um, what do we want to be, what do we want to be known for, number one. And question number two, are we living up to those values? Are our actions, do they actually correspond to what we claim to stand for? And that's again why I think um, being transparent and showing the capacity and the spirit of critical self-examination of, you know, being ready to subject yourself also to external scrutiny, not pretending to your donors that always every single euro you've raised is spent the best way possible, but that you do make mistakes because doing humanitarian medical aid in a complex, dangerous place like South Sudan, you will make mistakes and there's no point pretending otherwise. These things, they're risky, I know that, they're risky processes to engage for, uh, in, engage in for a board or for, an, for a management team. They can create considerable internal tension, but I would argue that you really need them 
to, in a way, steer a successful organization and an organization that maintains the ability to grow. If you get stuck in, uh, in one particular view of your image and your values and uh, you become inflexible and actually reality around you moves on and what you end up doing in the field really no longer corresponds to what you pretend to be doing, you're fooling yourself and you're starting to fool your supporters and that is going to uh, be at the detriment of the organization and what it tries to achieve. Sure, and affects your reputation. And this leads me to the, my final question. That's about, you know, for all those uh, local nonprofits all over the world <clears throat> and aspiring that, you know, it's time that they, they expand or scale up uh, and even perhaps even go at an international level. What would you consider based on lessons learned and, and the historic uh, uh, experience that MSF has gone through in terms of some general branding guidelines? I think MSF is an interesting example to look at, even though not necessarily suitable for everyone to follow. But MSF, uh, internationally speaking, is essentially a network of national organizations. So uh, MSF Germany is an independent registered charity under German law. Uh, MSF UK is a registered charity under UK law. So we have a fair bit of autonomy and we have to be accountable under our domestic legislation for what we do for our budgets, etc. But what binds us together as an international network of independent actors is a shared mission and a shared vision. So it's a shared sense of what it is we want to do in the world, provide you know, medical humanitarian aid to people who for whatever reason are cut off from that and who are in enormous need and how we want to do that. And in your introduction, you referred to the humanitarian principles, independence, impartiality, neutrality. Yes, these are the things that actually effectively bring us together and tie us together. Interestingly enough, the legal, formal links between these different uh, independent MSF sections that make up the movement as a whole are very limited. They fundamentally relate to uh, the fact that we have one international office that can grant a section the right to be able to be allowed to use the name and to be allowed to use the logo. That's the only really binding legal agreement that we have amongst each other. Everything else we've set up as a movement, all the agreements we've reached, the governance mechanisms we set up at the international level, uh, the fact that we cooperate uh, across the board and across the globe uh, to significant levels, it just comes from the shared of the sense of shared mission and shared vision, which is strong enough also to allow us to have a lot of internal debate and disagreement. So I, I say all that because I think if, if you are a local entity that really wants to spread its wings and, and in a way go international, become more broadly present, for me the logical way to do that is to seek allies. It's to go into partnership. It's to seek out someone else in another country, in another culture, in another environment, who shares your fundamental values, who has your sense of mission. And yes, you will probably both have to compromise to be able to come together. You may well have relationships, you know, unequal relationship because one partner might be a lot richer than the other partner. That's, uh, that's something to deal with, but it doesn't make real partnership impossible. So my advice would really be, instead of, in a way, trying to do it all on your own, 
really try and look around you, look into new places and see who shares your objectives and who is of, of the same mind when it comes to deciding how you want to achieve those objectives. Well, thanks a lot, Florian. And I think you gave some very, very interesting and you know pertinent points which you've raised and really appreciate it. I'm sure many of our listeners out there would like to link to you. Care to share with our listeners some of your contact details? Yes, with pleasure. I mean, I think always the nicest thing for me is, and what I look at repeatedly and sometimes a bit too often is Twitter. So I'm, uh, my handle is at Florian Westphal. So that's just my normal uh, name. You will find me on that. Uh, and uh, you probably just, if you do a search too, um, that's what I do professionally. And then uh, I also have a, a professional email, which I'm very happy to give, which is uh, florian.westphal at berlin.msf.org and I know that uh, that might be a bit complicated to pick up from the tape but I'm hoping that uh, Sudip you will also put something in, in writing which people can consult online absolutely absolutely, thanks Florian uh, for sharing those your insights so we'll be in touch this is Dr. Sudip Mona signing off with a message to our listeners to share this audio interview with others whom you think will benefit. You can check us out on www.ifirstinternational.com. Thank you, Florian. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Uh, send me a- Hi everyone, this is Dr. Sudip Mohandas from iFirst International. I'm a Managing Director and Co-Founder. I'm here for this program on podcast, and today we have a very important guest with me, uh, Farah Diba. Hi, Farah. Farah. Hi, Dr. Sudi. Good to have you here with me. Um, we're going to be talking about something very interesting, and that's a, a different angle normally when something I'm not touched in for a very long time, and that's on philanthropy. And I understand that, you know, from your own experience and dealings, um, this is something that is rather in some way close to your heart. Maybe you'd like to just share with us, Farah, about philanthropy maybe in general and from your perspective and also what do you see (coughs) happening uh, in today's world of philanthropy? Hmm. Good morning Dr. Siddhi. Yes, good morning. Thank you for inviting me for this uh, session. Um, I think philanthropy, I think it's a bit overrated. Mm. It's all Mm. about things that you do from the heart, Mm. I believe. So I think uh, it doesn't honestly. I honestly think it doesn't require labeling. Hmm. Um, I think it's just a hype now that people talk about philanthropy. But I think from time immemorial, in any society, in any given time, um, people have been doing good things. Uh, in the most simplest way, like I may say, charity, charitable giving, um, uh, giving for a cause. Hmm. Um, of not for profits but coming from the heart I think that is philanthropy and I don't think we should um, overemphasize it because I think we should make it natural from from young it should be uh, it should become our values as such um, from an individual point of view from a child's point of view from the family point of view community nation I think uh, philanthropy is the way f- is the a way of life it must be a value that we have to inculcate in every in everybody and anybody that's that's really refreshing to hear that from you because uh, it's always been labeled uh, as something that 
when you say philanthropy, we are always thinking about millions and big, big money. But you're talking about something that could actually be coming from the heart, which means it can be in any way. Why do you think it's overrated? I think um, you, people put too much emphasis on the structure. Um, of course, uh, when you talk about millions, mm. you know, when you talk about money, you talk about who you give donations and things like that, then the structure is important because you need to look at the legal aspects, abuse, governance and things like that, and the responsibility of our trustees, board members, who holds the money. But philanthropy on its own is charit- charitable giving. Right? So you could give effort, you could give uh, your sweat and your tears, your sympathy, your empathy. So there are so many aspects of, of uh, philanthropy uh, work that could be, could be contributed instead of we look at you know, the structure alone. Of course, uh, from the legal point of view, when you receive money from, donate, from donors, naturally there must be responsibility, accountability, um, and therefore, the legal structure must be put in place. But having said that, over and beyond that, those charitable giving should really come from the heart, from the people who give, um, right down to the people who actually implement the, the intentions of the donor. So it's a whole chain. That's how I look at philanthropy. And, and that's, that is, again, like I said, I think uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy to hear this. And I think it resonates with a lot of people. But I think you've articulated it very well. What, what's, what do you see some of the challenges now that you've just articulated as coming from the heart and, and this whole label of language? What are some of the challenges or issues that are associated with this? Do you know? I think the abuse of power have become the challenge abuse to charitable who, giving. Who? I think the abuse of power of the trustees themselves mm. from the, the, the donee, the donee is the person who received those funds, and the trust that the society has given. So that is why um, there's a lot of uh, issues about accountability of trust structures, accountability of the, 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 the trustees of a, of a foundation. Um, but I think if we look back into the real purpose of having, when we talk about structures, yeah, uh, we talk about foundations, whether or not it is formed in Malaysia, outside Malaysia, um, or, or not a legal entity as such, it is very important that um, the person who received the money and implement those intentions and the mission of, the, of that group be able to execute it well and show to the world or to the donor themselves what good their money have have mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. you know so i think that's one of the challenges uh, don't get me wrong mm-hmm. not i'm i'm not saying that you know it's um, every trustees are not trustworthy every sure. donors are suspicious sure. i'm not saying that mm-hmm. but when it comes to the it comes to giving I believe uh, because of that, at the end of the day, we have a lot of other foundations mushrooming on its own. You know, because they don't know where their money go to, right? Mm. And the other thing is, um, then you have this balance of um, these founders forming their own, and then you go into another issue of where do they raise the funds from, 
right? Mm. And then you, they themselves have the same problem. They face the same problem. I'm a founder. I need funds. I'm going to ask for from others. I didn't trust the one before me. Can the uh, the one in future trust me? Right. Right. right, right. So I think um, there should be um, there should be some form of convention, tradition, you know, culture that has been inbuilt, whereby those who form a foundation, those who have um, missions, you know, that there must be a given value. Because to be honest, I don't think uh, charitable giving is easier said than done. It's easy to give, but not to do. Mm, right? Mm, so you can give money, mm. but you don't want to know how the money is being mm. handled. That's one. On the other hand, when you are the the missionary yourself, right, or you are the the board of trustees and you are the engine of the foundation, for example, you have operated operation costs. How do you how do you support that? Would your donors want to pay for that? So these are the things that I think before. That's why I, when mm. when I said that you know, at the very basic, it is just about giving from your heart, but when it becomes millions. Surely there must be accountability. And what's happening in today's um, world? Is there anything? Do you see changes from what it was, let's say, ten years ago, or things are just the same? I think uh, people are more aware about cost giving, but um, I think uh, which also means that there there's more. Um, how would I say? There are more. There's most they analyze even more and they scrutinize even more, and the expectation is higher. So the duty of trustees nowadays or council members um, are even more trying. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, do uh, I think the public need also to know that those people who have volunteered to be on the board of trustees they need to understand this balance. Mm. Most of them did it out of their own heart, out of their own time, their own money. <clears throat> but maybe out of this good, good-heartedness, they, they ask for a group of people to support them. Right. So uh, there, is, there must be this balance of understanding, hey, you know, you're doing something good. Hey, you can help. How do we help? But how much do we check? So th- there's always that imbalance, you know, and mm. then, but you will realize uh, those who do it genuinely uh, will last longer. The stamina is there, they are more, because it's just out of passion. Even there is no money, they will do whatever it takes to get it done. Their mission must be fulfilled. That's how I see it. Excellent. And where do you see it moving um, towards the future? What is the kind of crystal ball that you have? I mean... You've seen things over the time. You say that after 10 years, people are more analytical. But do you think things will change for the better or things will just be the same? Or what's your view of the future? I think um, the newer generation, um, the way they think are very different than us. I think they will do things that I myself can't even mm-hmm. uh, imagine. Mm-hmm. Because uh, 20 years ago, we don't have, I don't know how to even use uh, social media, crowdfund funding, you know, to help a, a particular cause. But if you see now, with so little money, um, even some of them start with 10 ringgit with crowdfunding and they've helped others. So I think that is highly commendable. 
I don't think we need to put a label. There must be a particular organization mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. But with so with so little, mm-hmm. but with uh, a I lot of us, yeah. yeah, you could also achieve a lot of things. So that that sounds as if it's gonna be. It seems to be moving forward. I understand you'll be organizing a event so we are okay uh, that's good and i think that when that actually happens uh, we hope to hear from you on a little bit more about that well thank you very much uh, farah for your help and and also uh, being there okay uh, and giving you perspectives in terms of philanthropy i mean i think that's very refreshing indeed with that thank you very much everyone uh, join in to www.ifirstinternational for further podcasts on whatever we have in terms of those who are experts in the non-profit world thank you bye <coughs> all right <coughs> thank you doctor yeah what was that what was it i think you're good yeah can you sit back okay hello good morning everyone this is dr surimon das the co-founder and managing director of ifirst international Today I have with me Dr. Kamal Kenny, someone I've known for quite a while. Today we're going to talk about board and governance. Um, Dr. Kamal has been very active in the non-profit world for a long time. So welcome, Kamal. Hi, hi, Sudip. Thank you for having me. Always Thank a you. pleasure to have you here with me. Okay, for our listeners' uh, interest uh, today, I would like to touch about, like I said, about the board and governance. Maybe like maybe we'll start by sharing with us in from your own perspective experience and insights uh, what does it mean to you okay before I, I i jump into the topic per se let me just tell you my uh, journey in this um, um, especially in the field of ngo i started off as a youth um, just when i completed my university education and then i was very actively involved then in para After that, uh, for many years, I was doing a lot of youth activities. Started off at state level, and then eventually went on at national level. And, and then um, I moved on uh, at the national level as a council member. Uh, then later, I was uh, promoted, uh, elected as the vice chair, and currently I'm the vice chairman of the Federation of Reproductive Organizations uh, in Malaysia. Uh, I'm also an expo member with. Uh, Majlis Kanak-Kanak Malaysia. So um, in, say, 20 years, I have uh, moved from youth-related programs and now have been very much uh, involved in uh, children and adolescent Malaysia. Okay. So a little bit about board governance. What's your okay. take on that? Um, I think this is a really a good topic because um, I think uh, there's a lot of ambiguity shrouded around uh, governance. a lot of people take on the role of uh, a board member but um when they go on they take on the role of a board member they feel that as a board member um primarily you are required to fundraise and when when the board is able to actually get someone um in the team who is actually um able to raise a significant amount of fund then he is he will be a good individual to be in the board i think when we talk about uh, board governance the the spectrum the whole sun uh, is very wide it's a lot about decision making the right decision that you are able to make to being able to see the uh, how you able to continuously uh, be relevant in that particular um, uh, organization yeah, yeah. Mm. okay And so, what 
will it be such that why is this this issue whereby people start thinking that if you are in the governance element fundraising is is a key component why 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 is that why does that come about i think i think it's because primarily because a lot of especially non profit organization uh because especially in malaysia we have moved from uh, a third world country to a developing country so we are not getting funds so when there are not funds coming in a lot of these organizations and you mean funds from overseas uh, overseas yeah okay. okay they are not able to to get funds as how they used to get uh, previously so they they are they required to raise their own fund so that they able to run programs so um, in that context that's where they feel that the 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 um, idea of fundraising is um, is something that's very important um uh, undoubtedly it's definitely an important but fundamentally the role of a board and uh, entails a lot of other aspects it entails about policies how they are able to make a, a strategic policies that defines issues of today if you notice um the issues are because of the change of times issues are also evolving so um the policies that we have in place must also be changing in times okay besides that um uh, i think as board members there should be a certain element of oversight what do you project that's going to take place in the next 5 years next 10 years so your ability to see that is very important that would reflect on your financial uh, uh, sustainability okay and there's always this issue some people have complained about board members micromanaging or all for that matter even having a helicopter approach you know okay. where they don't uh, get too much involved at okay. all what's your take on that? that that's very true there's two end of the spectrum it's as you mentioned is either you are sitting up there and looking from an aerial view and where you do not want to get down roll your sleeves and get involved or your micromanaging now they must understand there's a fine line between management and board members uh, roles and responsibility now uh, when you talk about micromanaging um, in an organization there's always an individual that's running the organization and under the individual there is a line of staff when you cross the line line then you're micromanaging because you expect to take uh, you expect the staff to take the orders from you so that then gets very uh, murky in that context um uh, a board must understand he's not supposed to micromanage at the same time he's not supposed to take an area view and uh, say that i'm only going to step in when uh, that when it's required he must be able to give strategic uh, uh, decision and direction uh, to the individual that's heading the organization and that's where his his role is primarily in And what's your view about some non-profits I've known from my experience that some of the board members also play a role as a staff. Yes. This, and this what's your work? Yeah. And how does that work? Um and because at the end day if you are let's say for example a leader and you have a staff member who sits as a board okay. <laughs> how do they how 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 does that governance work because you you have somebody who reports to you is a board member who you report to and so that becomes a big of an issue so what have you ever had that experience yes, i have i've seen this happening in many organization now the board board members again uh, many people do not know the real true meaning of governance so this is where they feel that as a board member i'm able to make a certain amount of decision in the running day to day running of the organization so they would like that certain instructions that they um 
give should be implemented. Now, they can uh, design on a policy, but the whole process of implementation of the policy is done by the organization and by the management of the organization. So that's where you should not cross that line. Uh, but however, having said that, there are also organizations where because of the aerial view the board members are taking, staff will choose to cross the management and go directly to the board. Now that's where um, the communication component is very important between um, the board members and the management for them to, uh, to actually crush out what are the, are they able to sustain the organization, what are the issues, conflict, conflict management. Now, if um, there have been many instances where the management will decide the agenda of the meeting, of a board meeting. Now, in, in a true sense, a board member must be able to say that this is the expectation of a board meeting agenda. I would like to see this incorporated and this to be deliberated else as well. So that's when you do not have issues where staff, you know, because of management not able to, to um, um, resolve conflicts internally, then they, they go to the board members. Okay. And you've also, I've also seen the situation whereby um, the, what the chairperson says uh, normally is a representation of the board. Uh, it's not as if the individuals within the board have their own views. It's basically what the chair says, it goes. How does this work uh, and how does a chair play an independent role but at the same time a facilitative role or a leadership role? What is the chair's role in this whole board and governance? What's from your experience? Okay. Now, in a non-profit organization, uh, the board members are elected individual. And um, I, 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 I agree to you to a great extent uh, where many chairpersons do uh, um, uh, steer the, 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 the sheep at his own um, whims and fancy. Uh, but I guess this is personality because there have also been a lot of uh, organizations where the chairperson has uh, given enough room for the respective um, subcommittee heads or board members or heading committees where they have got enough say in how they would like, to, how they see a certain direction of that component. So it's, it's again about personality um, and um, with having a, um, a right synergy in the board committee, then then you are able to resolve a lot of issues. Okay, and maybe as we come to a close, but what would be, from your perspective, uh, a successful board? How how do you define define a successful board? Okay, bottom line is the board needs to know what's uh, governance. Corporate governance. Essentially, a lot of board members do not know what's corporate governance. So when they do not know what's corporate governance, then that's when they, they cross the line and go to management. Now, your ability to understand what's corporate governance, then you're able to know what's your roles and responsibility. Understanding that is fundamental. Okay? And how would they understand that? Uh, do they go for training or do they... Uh, uh, how, how lots they? of non-profit organizations yeah. um, um, do have handbooks, uh, manuals, that actually uh, clearly defines the role of the board of members. But I guess many individuals, where they, they take on on the road, they, are, they may not have gone through that. So they do not understand the real thrust of their job. So I think periodically, 
uh, there should be uh, refresher uh, programs or courses uh, for these individuals to, to let them know that these are their, their duties and it's very important because you have been elected to that uh, for that position and within that three-year tenure or you know, six years you are required because people have entrusted you so um, your inability to actually um, demonstrate that will actually um, reflect on a lot of people okay mm. Well, that, thank you very much, uh, Kamal, for your insights. Yeah, and it's been very refreshing to hear your perspective as somebody who's been in it. You know? uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, thank you thank so you. much, uh, Sudhi. So with that, thank you, everyone. Uh, if those of you are willing to listen to this podcast, please tune in to www.ifersinternational.com. Uh, you can get many of any other podcasts that are relevant to your own topic of interest. Thank you. Bye. Hello, hello, how are you? Welcome, it's good to see you all here. Hello, Rina Sarif. Uh, it's good to actually have you here. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Rina Sarif. Uh, it's good to actually have you here. I hope you enjoy the show.
Ha, tak boleh lah. Kena tunggu lama ke? Ah, tak sejak Farina dia tengah siapkan paper dia sejak dia lagi dia datang. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Hello. How are you? Okay, my dear. Good. Oh my God! Thank you so much for coming. No, 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 no. no. You need to sit thank there. Thank you so much for coming to you. No, no. TNB. No. TNB. Oh, I meet you now at, at your. I'm now at your. Yeah, premise. <laughs> this is where it happens. Okay, fine. This is where it happens, huh? This is where it all happens. This is where, um, the magic happens. Are you making doing magic? That's why I promised the CEO last time uh-huh. when I first came in. I'm uh-huh. gonna make your miracle come true. Yeah. I'm gonna make your dream happen, uh-huh. and it happened. Oh. Yeah, it happened within the span of twenty four months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It takes a while. Yeah, twenty four months, yeah. and um, the the most peak was uh, uh this year February mm. when I came back mm. with the five global awards. Mm. Yeah, that's it. That wraps up. Shabas. Shabas. Yeah. So now what is it? What's your Next step is um. I guess I should move on. Oh. Yeah, I guess I should move on. Uh, they they wanted to renew my contract, mm. so I said you can come up with your contract, but mm. um, I'm gonna be looking out mm. for my next move. Oh, is that so? Well, survivors are like that, but. Mm. <laughs> well, should I say performers? Finding place where I can like. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Oh. So I'm talking to so many people. Mm, 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 can offer but you want to go beyond just a HR ceiling a people ceiling to something else yeah I'm also looking for um, any NGOs you know to lead any of the mm, NGOs mm, set mm. up um, talking to Shireen as well because I think Shireen has some refugees project mm, I don't know Shireen mm. the ex-CEO of Telecom oh okay if okay. you have not met her I can arrange for us to meet for a coffee yeah, with her yeah. very good woman for you to get to know mm. I have not met her. Yeah, you must. Uh, Sharin Shariza Datuk Ghazali is um, ex CEO of Talent Corp Malaysia. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that Talent Corp, you know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Ex CEO, and then when the new government came in, mm. so she ended her contract, and now I just saw her yesterday taking picture with Sultan uh, Aslan San Nazrin, Sultan mm. Nazrin, mm-hmm. and to talk about some. Charity humanitarian mm. refugees project. So mm. I quickly texted her and said, "Hey, mm. I saw your new project. I want to hear about it. Mm. You know. So when I meet her, I can pull you in. You sure? Just to expand your network. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. Just to connect the dots. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah. yeah. Who knows? You can work alongside her. Mm. Ah. That'd be great. Thank you. Ah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So otherwise, you're in control, yeah. Otherwise, um. Uh, Remember despite the last fact, time, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that I am on the stage mm. talking to public, you mm, know, mm, conferences and all that, mm. I'm undergoing my own divorce. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry to yeah, hear that. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's painful. It's ugly. It's painful. Oh my God, you can imagine. So while my personal life is breaking, the I have to have that fas- facade, you know, to put on strength because at my level I cannot be showing 
mm. what I'm going through, the pain I'm going mm. through. So yeah, it's painful lah. Um, no, no, I'm not gonna deny that. You have, you have, do you have children? Yeah, yeah, yeah I have two. <laughs> so that also makes it even more. Of How old are they? Of course, of course. I got married at age age of eighteen. So wow. Yeah, I got married at age age of eighteen, and now they're twenty two, and then one is seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're at least big enough. Yeah. Wow, that means you are what? That is twenty over years of marriage. Uh-huh. But you though, but it was already breaking up a long time ago. Breaking up a long time ago. And this is just the end. It's like you know what? I'm not gonna end my um my the end you mm, know my life like this like this uh, with someone whom uh, okay, okay. is breaking apart yeah. who is like not giving me the happiness. Forget mm. it. Mm-hmm. Might as well like, quickly break yeah, it yeah, down yeah, and yeah. who knows I can yeah, meet yeah, 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 you know a new person yeah, doctor yeah, 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 and enjoy yeah, my yeah, life. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, especially at you know coming towards your now sunset that, years and yeah, all like that. it's not that I'm in forties or fifties and you mm, spend mm, your life mm, like that. No thanks. No. Oh dear. Thank you very much. This is the sad to say. This is the type of men that we're having coming oh, out today. Huh? God, I tell you, I tell you, that one that is personal, and then in here, hmm. um, while I'm going up and down court, hmm. my own team members hmm. are. Stabbing me big time, a whole lot of them, a whole lot of them actually sabotaged me and went up to the chief people, meaning my boss, it's like overall, mm. and, and complained about, complained, all the false accusations came to him that it's not true. Fitnah lah, fitnah. Wow, I said, God really gave me a test this time. So, you know, after knowing that your team backstabbed you and knowing the false support supported mm-hmm. them, and they're all families mm-hmm. for information ah. you know how it is here kan uh, incest because they've been working 35 years get to know the mother the It's so embedded in the culture, then. So embedded uh, and sad because this organization belongs to the nation, belongs to all of yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Right and if only the Raya knows the shit that is happening inside here, hmm. ouch. That's why I, t- I always think, ouch. we know that telco is slowly, pri- this one has to be privatized. <coughs> Cannot, uh. Children more energy based organizations are coming out. I don't know when that'll happen. Yeah, well, that we don't know. And at the same time, the World HD Congress mm. or recipient mm. for mm. Malaysian Contingent mm. have asked mm. me to lead the Mumbai project mm. Slum Dwellers. Mm. So now I travel to Mumbai every two weeks mm. to be with the mm. slums mm. by the roadside, mm. you know, mm. and be with Yasmin mm. uh, Hussein, who is a uh, tuition teacher mm-hmm. who teach uh, the slum dwellers at mm-hmm. the roadside mm-hmm. and then our Malaysian contingent who are coaches you know sometimes they mm-hmm. teach in the hotel you know they see pencils everywhere so we collect pencils and I'll be the one delivering to them uh, and then we the next project will be adoption of adoption of um, slum children to go to school so I'm also involved in that so uh, at least you got a full life la. I mean let's I put it this way. Yeah, big tulip lagi? Ah, tulip lagi. Ah, big tulip lagi. Ah. No, I, on the on the one hand. Yes, lagi. Oh, you 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 and YCK? Yes, Macam YCK mana? as well. How is that? 
uh, well, I don't know how the coordinators in involved me and invited me. So what are you doing with ICK? Um, I would say I'm a volunteer. I'm not oh. even the leader, but I am there. So Tini is the one that brought you in, okay? No, it's uh, Dr. Elmer Amiru, Dr. Amiru Elmer, okay, someone okay. from Kazana. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, mm. Wow. Okay, so you've really got yourself uh, good luck. This is how it should be for you. You know? You well, do need to make your life full. Things are breaking, you know? Like you no, no, but that's, to, you know... You still have got to... You know how tough it is? You got... Oh, God! Tell you, not to forget. I tell you, it's really tough. But I'm still smiling on stage. I'm still trying to focus. No, no, because no, you know, no. on stage, you got to focus. But you're not in the same house, lah, yeah? Um, sometimes he comes in to... Oh. I don't know what he does. This is the... <sighs> You know, uh, this is the problem when I was... I think you were there, right? One of the tulip functions, I think, uh, were talking about women issues and a few, uh, <coughs> few of the uh, Muslim sisters came up and said, look, before we even talk about this, we got to look at our, our religious issues that actually bring us down in, in many ways and don't, don't look mm. at the women. They were actually raising this as an issue. I was happy that they did. But it's unfortunately, the right people were not there to listen, huh? Sometimes we talk to the wall, but there's no one. He, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We need you to must have the right uh, target audience. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, and how are you? Okay. Uh, it's been. It's been. Uh, you know, everybody has their ups and downs, mm-hmm. but I think this this year has been more about trying to get the message out, trying to make things people. I think people are now getting more awareness about uh, things, which I'm happy about. From the work uh, end, it's been rather slow because I think the whole economy has been, you know, slow. What about outside Malaysia? Outside Malaysia, also, I do a lot of work. Uh, so, later in the year, I'll be off to Brazil, South America, doing some work. But uh, even that, the whole, it's like, you know, US, I'll be US for a while. But So, every year, I do a lot of international work as well. So, like, last year, I was in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Indonesia, Africa. This year will just be in South America and US. But uh, it's been still slow. Everywhere is a bit, you know, you know, trying to put... Uh, but so everything is happening now, trying to use technology. Everyone wants to use technology. Uh, but so you can do it that way. La. Yeah, why don't you go on that? Yeah, so I'm using that as much as I can, but it's, it's, a, it's a slow... Move. It's still very slow. Even Mind Valley is struggling to find... Participants, you know, Mind Valley. Mm. No, but then you see, I like there's now a mental health at workplace, all struggling to find people for their conference. There's a big conference going on on mental health at workplace. Uh, I'm moderating that one section for the youth, but and struggling to find participants. Yeah, sorry, because uh, to come for that session because it's a, it's talking about mental mental health at the workplace, and we're getting experts. To come and talk about this and how, so you get psychology exercises and all that. So it's a, it's a big struggle. People are not. They know they want to come. Yeah, that's the issue. Uh, and of course, these things are not free, right? So you have to come for it. They want them people to come. So it's hard. It's a struggle. The economy is not as what it appears to be, you know. So. Yeah, so mind valley. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Mind Valley Struggling ah. Everyone is Everyone is Even if you want free Also Struggling Free Even People Don't Yeah, it's a, 
apathy, lackadaisical, very poor like last time. Semua. Semua macam tu lah. The Malaysia Association of Professional Speakers. Mm. If you see my LinkedIn. Ah, I, I saw that. I saw that. Yes, yes, yes. God, it's so kasihan lah. Yeah. The convention. Berapa ramai? Convention should ah, be ah. in a, like, you know, the seating arrangement ah, should be ah, theatre style. Ah, ah, ah. They have to make a round table ah. because the participants, they only accommodated Two rooms saja, two seminar rooms saja. Tak ramai level, nah Oh, I really pity them. Jonathan Lau uh, uh, and Babani, uh, uh, all uh, uh. the siannya. That's but then people are making effort, but the response is very poor. Hmm, hmm, So this is what uh, this is this is the reality on the ground now. <laughs> this reality. So you just have to take that with. Anyway, we yeah. can talk till the cows come. So yeah, yeah. I've. So Two things. One, one is I need. Yeah, uh, you give me the questions, right? I have prepared something. Okay, so but it's going to be conversation, but we yeah. try to make it within the 12, 12 13 minutes. Okay. After it's done, I just got a small survey for you to fill up, and then, okay. then you can go and go into your new world. So just let me <laughs> first test out your voice, your beautiful voice. Let me just get my PA because I want her to take my. My my um, angle from here. Ah. That's on my Insta. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you will be featured in my Instagram. Oh dear. <laughs> LinkedIn. Ah, what's that LinkedIn? I am six thousand to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now photo first. Ah. Okay. Nice, huh? Mm. Where did you buy that? Online, lah. Online, nice. Hmm. Senang, eh? Dia punya lighting tu dia gelap. Kurang. Wah, terus. Tak perlu nanti, you take it natural, eh? Okay. okay. So, first is answering okay, the so question. Okay, so let me first lah. test out. Okay. You, you yeah. check out sikit. Okay, so Rina, please tell me a little bit about yourself. A little bit about myself. Ah, 20 just... years in, in HR and been involved in social work in and out of Malaysia, environmentalist as well, because I'm the ambassador for ocean, taking care of the okay, ocean. Okay, let me just test it out. Yep. Okay, so Rina, please tell me a little bit about myself. Uh. 20 years in, in HR and been involved in social work in and out of Malaysia, environmentalist as well, because I'm the ambassador for ocean. Okay. Tak best, yeah. Mm. Tak sharp. Tak sharp sangat, eh? Uh-uh. Don't worry, I'll, I'll do all that later. Okay. Oh, can edit ah? Ah, I will. Oh, okay, but now okay, I just okay. to get your. That one all can. Any way to do? Can you do? Okay, so. I'll be Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Suri Mondas, the co founder and managing director of iFirst International. Welcome to the program where we interview experts in the nonprofit and mission-based organization field. Today I have with me Rina Sarif, someone who I've known for a while and I find really interesting. Hi Rina. Hi Dr. Philip. Good to have you here. Today we're going to talk about something that is uh, probably outside the normal uh, conversation piece that people talk about and that's about paid talent against volunteers. And uh, and when I talk about that, I really want to know in in the sector that we are looking at, 
can you just explain a little bit more about the differences and maybe some similarities between these two? Right. Um, <clears throat> these days I've observed being in human capital for a few years, so I see the evolution um, among the workforce um, instead of um, the, the, the percentage of, of paid talents uh, being 100%, so now I see more of the paid talents also at the same time being involved with uh, social projects. Um, I would call them the new volunteers workforce. Um, and um, the difference between the, the paid talents and the volunteers is that um, they are actually can be categorized um, from three uh, perspectives. Number one is work. Uh, from the paid talent perspective, you're given contract of employment. Volunteers, you're, you've been given um, volunteering agreement, you know, if you can call that. And then um, the difference between these both is that it, as a paid employee, we will give them job description, um, position, salary. But for volunteers, we do not give them all this, but we give them role instead of job description. Um, in terms of work, in terms of hours, I would say that uh, for the paid employees, we have stipulated uh, hours, and for overtime, we are all paid. Some of them are paid uh, for the non-executive. For volunteers, there, um, there are flexibility in terms of um, the time that they can contribute. Um, from the intention uh, perspective, um, the paid employees are compensated by money, by cash, by perks. Volunteers are compensated by fulfillment, satisfaction, deeper than that. So that's what I see um, the differentiation, the distinct difference between paid employees and um, uh, volunteers. Now, there are also similarities when you look at it from the dimension of psychological contract. Okay? When you talk about psychological contract, you're talking about um, how the mind perceives the contract between an entity and them themselves. So there are similarities between paid employee and volunteers because both of this category of people, their contract, uh, the psychological of contract is the same. Same commitment because paid employees working for an employer, volunteers are working for an entity. Yeah. In terms of um, organizational justice, also the same. Um, from now, I, I want to bring about to the perspective of managing them. Uh, paid employees, uh, may, they might be slight different because um, the similarity between these both in terms of managing the paid employee and the volunteers, there are similarities in terms of managing their motivation, they're humans anyway, in terms of recognizing their potential, in terms of um, giving them uh, reinforcement, um, in terms of... Um, uh, yeah, that's all. But the difference is the tone of command. Mm. Because you must remember the volunteers are actually taking effort, their own effort to do this volunteerism. Mm. Yeah, for for free. You know, it is just they're driven by passion, driven by love, driven by their gratitude, driven by deep passion inside them to make a difference. You see? Yeah, and yeah. I, I just want to, uh, since you mentioned that word about passion, that's that's... So how is that different between somebody who has paid time? Because I've heard many people who work in corporates, they, they also say they're passionate about their job. And the people on volunteers also say they're passionate about their job. Yeah. I mean, what would be uh, the difference in that sense? 
passion i would say a uh, passion um would be different for individual yeah you can be passionate in your work in an organization you can also be passionate in terms of you serving the community yeah so in terms of passion the channel may be different but what's inside the heart i would say it's the same okay yeah this is based on my own observation mm. because i myself am involved as a paid employee and i'm also involved in leading some social projects environmental as well as a social work charity work with humans and all that so that's why i can see that in terms of passion it is actually the same i would say that mm. yeah I, i was at a conference recently and uh, what was actually um, discussed uh, one lady actually raised the fact that she is a paid employee now she's also been asked to be a volunteer mhm and i think that's something that you do as okay. well right yeah yeah but she's found out that the volunteering work takes more time takes a lot more energy than actually uh, she, what she does as a paid you know yeah uh, yeah and yet uh, you know she she's struggling with you know wanting to do volunteer work and also being a paid employee mm-hmm. how how does one actually manage this i mean yeah, you do this yeah i i do that and uh, yes there um there must be um a balance between both very difficult to find the equilib- equilibrium between having to work as a paid employee and a volunteer um now uh, let us understand from the perspective of um psychology um the social exchange theory if i can remember mm-hmm. yeah because we in human capital we um when we work we must understand the concept of why we work okay so um from the psychological perspective a person's motivation can be conceptualized based on the social exchange policy a social exchange theory meaning in order for efforts to be sustained rewards must exceed or at bare minimum balance out the cost or the output yeah in in another way is that the theory suggests that people contribute um to the degree that they perceive that they are being rewarded So when they perceive imbalance between contributions and rewards mm. and that individual is likely to resign to bow out from volunteerism or to resign from an organization okay so um the social exchange theory describes uh, six types of um social rewards meaning uh, personal attraction social acceptance social approval instrumental services respect prestige self-satisfaction in volunteering rewards can take the form of learning love gratitude as i've mentioned just now perceive higher status um associated with giving back to the community and an overall sense of positive spirituality so someone who wants to be involved in volunteerism must have that deep deep passion and that intrinsic autonomy inside themselves because if you want to get involved as a paid employee in volunteerism but if without the intrinsic autonomy it's going to be really tough so it's a kind of a thin line right perhaps yeah. the demarcation is is quite thin yeah, yeah. so uh, there would be a situation whereby a someone a volunteer if they can't sustain being a volunteer they move they start asking for compensation yeah um but is there a time where uh, for let's say for example those who are moving uh, who are now board members 
um, and I understand you know uh, there are many of those people who sit in the board yeah they actually are now volunteers yeah right and they've also got their paid talent yeah. um, how is it a being a board and at the same time being a volunteer is there two different mindsets you have to have if you're a paid talent and a volunteer do you have to have yeah, to me um, you must have purpose in life Okay, whether you're a board or whether you're a lower a non-executive, whether you're a technician or whether you are a social worker, whether you're a volunteer, you must have a purpose in life. And to me, as a leader in a corporate world and a volunteer, to me, to me, it may differ with, with other people, but to me, the purpose is the same. The purpose as a corporate leader being in a board of directors, being in a boardroom is to provide meaning to your surrounding. To provide meaning to your a boundary to your corporate to your organization and being a volunteer is to provide meaning to your environment so life is all about providing meaning to your surrounding the world so to me it is the same okay providing meaning to the world providing meaning to the community providing meaning to your to your segment that you're serving yeah okay and so that's and touched about the meaning I know you're doing a lot of work that's providing meaning to you do you want to care to share a little bit of those things that you're doing that is providing meaning to you right right for example this is a very good example because uh, in Tanaga I am the head of talent acquisition I provide meaning to people by um, advising them how to get a proper job you know career advice how to enhance your career how to move up the career ladder how to advise the talent in terms of talent development and how to advise a new breed of um, new millennials and how to secure a job, you know. My job in the corporate sector actually provide meaning to many segments of life. Now, on the other side, my life, uh, being in a volunteerism, I'm leading the project for the Mumbai Owl Pencil Project. I am leading the, the project for uh, the Slum Dwellers um, Education Project. I'm also um, the advisor for my daughter's Why Is Global, where I went to Vietnam, Cambodia, and uh, we have a project in Malaysia as well, and Indonesia, in uh, finding people whom we can help and to call it volunteers. Yeah, I'm also in the Big Tulip movement as well, where we empower women, and I'm also a, a volunteer in Yayasan Chowkit as well. So my mission is to provide meaning to the people I'm serving, you see? So I am providing meaning in my corporate uh, world as the GM of talent acquisition and I'm also providing meaning in my world as a volunteer. I would say volunteer, not holding any position. Yeah. So providing meaning doesn't need to have position actually. It's all from the heart. It is intrinsic autonomy. It is an intrinsic realization you must have to provide meaning to the world. Okay, and so I get, uh, I'd like to end this by asking a, a question that's been sitting in my head for a while. Are you, do you grow to be a volunteer or are you born volunteer? Wow, this is awesome question, grow. I would say um, both, both. Um, for me, I would say I am born a volunteer. Because um, my mom told me that since I was a kid, I was already giving out stuffs to, you know, the street kids, giving out stuffs to friends. And my mom was wondering, like, from small, you were already going to school and asking me to cook something extra for you to give out to your friends. So it was from little kid that I started to have started to give. 
and so even a day will not pass I don't feel comfortable if I don't give even one ringgit to the cleaner or or to the guard you know things like that so I would say it is in born in me but volunteerism can also grow because for me I now can influence people to start to get into the volunteering world by telling them look try out then you can feel um, the purity of the heart you can cleanse yourself by giving to other people so actually there are two segments here you can be born as a volunteer you can also grow as a volunteer Excellent. And especially in my capacity now that I've just won the award for the most influential global HR leader, so my role is actually to influence the people around me to do good deeds. So I took the opportunity of the award to actually encourage people to come, come and start to give to the society. And that's how I do it. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, <laughs> Rina, for sharing in a very short while a very insightful uh, aspect of yourself and also the meaning of paid talent and volunteers. Thank you so much. My welcome. Pleasure. Pleasure. So there you have it. You've heard from Rina Sarif. Those of you who are interested in listening to this podcast, please visit www.ifirstinternational.com. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Sudhi Mohandas, the co-founder and managing director of IFIRST International. Welcome to the program where we interview experts in the nonprofit and mission-based organization field. Today I have with me Rina Sarif, someone who I've known for a while and I find really interesting. Hi Rina. Hi Dr. Sindhu. Good to have you here. Today we're going to talk about something that is uh, probably outside the normal uh, conversation piece that people talk about and that's about paid talent against volunteers and I, and when I talk about that I really want to know in in the sector that we are looking at can you just explain a little bit more about the differences and maybe some similarities between these two right um, <clears throat> these days I've observed being in human capital for a few years so I see the evolution um, among the workforce um, instead of um, the, the the percentage of, of paid talents uh, being 100%, so now I see more of the paid talents also at the same time being involved with uh, social projects. Um, I would call them the new volunteers workforce. Um, and um, the difference between the, the paid talents and the volunteers is that um, they are actually can be categorized um, from three uh, perspectives. Number one is work. Uh, from the paid talent perspective, you are given contract of employment. Volunteers, you're, you've been given um, volunteering agreement, you know, if you can call that. And then um, the difference between these both is that it, as a paid employee, we will give them job description, um, position, salary. But for volunteers, we do not give them all this, but we give them role instead of job description. Um, in terms of work, in terms of hours, I would say that uh, for the paid employees, we have stipulated uh, hours and for overtime we are all paid some of them are paid uh, for the non-executive for volunteers there um, there are flexibility in terms of um, the time that they can contribute um, from the intention uh, perspective um, the paid employees are compensated by money by cash by perks volunteers are compensated by fulfillment satisfaction deeper than that so that's what i see um the differentiation the distinct difference between paid employees and 
um, uh, volunteers. Now, there are also similarities when you look at it from the dimension of psychological contracts. Okay? When you talk about psychological contract, you're talking about um, how the mind perceives the contract between an entity and them themselves. So there are similarities between paid employee and volunteers because both of this category of people, their contract, uh, their psychological contract is the same. Same commitment because paid employees working for an employer, volunteers are working for an entity. In terms of um, organizational justice, also the same. Um, from now, I, I want to bring about to the perspective of managing them. Uh, paid employees uh, may there might be slight different because um, the similarity between these both, in terms of managing the paid employee and the volunteers, there are similarities in terms of managing their motivation. They're humans anyway. In terms of recognizing their potential in terms of um, giving them uh, reinforcement, um, in terms of, um, uh, yeah, that's all. But the difference is the tone of command. Mm. Because you must remember the volunteers are actually taking effort, their own effort to do this volunteerism mm. yeah, for, for free. You know, it is just they're driven by passion, driven by love, driven by uh, gratitude, driven by deep passion inside them to make a difference. You see? Yeah, and yeah. I, I just want to, uh, since you mentioned that word about passion, that's, that's, how is that different between somebody who has paid time? Because I've heard many people who work in corporates, they, they also say they're passionate about their job. And the people on volunteers also say they're passionate about their job. Yeah. I mean, what would be uh, the difference in that sense? Passion, I would say uh, passion um, would be different for individual, yeah? You can be passionate in your work in an organization. You can also be passionate in terms of you serving the community, yeah? So in terms of passion, the channel may be different. But what's inside the heart, I would say it's the same. Okay. Yeah, this is based on my own observation mm. because I myself am involved as a paid employee and I'm also involved in leading some social projects, environmental as well as the social work, charity work with humans and all that. So that's why I can see that in terms of passion, it is actually the same. I would say that. Yeah. I, I was at a conference recently and uh, what was actually um, discussed, uh, one lady actually raised the fact that she is a paid employee. Now she's also been asked to be a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you do as okay. well, right? Yeah, yeah. But she's found out that the volunteering work takes more time, takes a lot more energy than actually uh, she, what she does as a paid, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yet, uh, you know, she, she's struggling with, you know, wanting to do volunteer work and also being a paid employee. Mm-hmm. How, how does one actually manage this? I mean, yeah, you do this. Yeah, I, I do that. And uh, yes, there, um, there must be um, a balance between both. Very difficult to find the equilib- equilibrium between having to work as a paid employee and a volunteer. Um, now, uh, let us understand from the perspective of um, psychology, um, the social exchange theory, if I can remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we in human capital, we 
um, when we work, we must understand the concept of why we work. Okay, so um, from the psychological perspective, a person's motivation can be conceptualized based on the social exchange policy, a social exchange theory. Meaning, in order for efforts to be sustained, rewards must exceed or at bare minimum balance out the cost or the output. Yeah. In, in another way is that the theory suggests that people contribute um, to the degree that they perceive that they are being rewarded. So when they perceive imbalance between contributions and rewards, mm. and that individual is likely to resign, to bow out from volunteerism or to resign from an organization. Okay, so... Um, the social exchange theory describes uh, six types of um, social rewards, meaning uh, personal attraction, social acceptance, social approval, instrumental services, respect, prestige, self-satisfaction. In volunteering, rewards can take the form of learning, love, gratitude, as I've mentioned just now, perceive higher status um, associated with giving back to the community and an overall sense of positive spirituality. So someone who wants to be involved in volunteerism must have that deep, deep passion and that intrinsic autonomy inside themselves. Because if you want to get involved as a paid employee in volunteerism, but without the intrinsic autonomy, it's going to be really tough. So it's a kind of a thin line, right? Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, the demarcation is, is quite thin. Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, there would be a situation whereby a someone a volunteer, if they can't sustain being a volunteer, they move. They start asking for compensation. Yeah. Um, but is there a time where, uh, for let's say for example, those who are moving, uh, who are now board members, uh, and I understand you know uh, there are many of those people who sit in the board. Yeah. They actually are now volunteers. Yeah. Right. And they've also got their paid talent. Yeah. Um, how is it a being a board and at the same time being a volunteer? Is there two different mindsets you have to have? If you're a paid talent and a volunteer, do you have to have yeah, To me, um, you must have purpose in life. Okay, Whether you're a board or whether you're a lower a non-executive, whether you're a technician or whether you are a social worker, whether you're a volunteer, you must have a purpose in life. And to me, as a leader in a corporate world and a volunteer, to me, to me, it may differ with, with other people, but to me, the purpose is the same. The purpose as a corporate leader being in a board of directors and being in a boardroom is to provide meaning to your surrounding, to provide meaning to your a boundary, to your corporate, to your organization. And being a volunteer is to provide meaning to your environment. So life is all about providing meaning to your surrounding, the world. So to me, it is the same. Okay. Providing meaning to the world, providing meaning to the community, providing meaning to your to your segment that you're serving. Yeah. Okay. And so and that's and touched upon meaning. I know you're doing a lot of work that's providing meaning to you. Do you want to care to share a little bit of those things that you're doing that is providing meaning to you? Right, right. For example, this is a very good example because uh, in Tanaga I am the head of talent acquisition. I provide meaning to people by um, advising them how to get a proper job, you know, career advice, how to enhance your career, how to move up the career ladder, how to advise the talent in terms of talent development. 
and how to advise a new breed of um, new millennials and how to secure a job. You know, my job in the corporate sector actually provide meaning to many segments of life. Now, on the other side, my life, uh, being in the volunteerism, I'm leading the project for the Mumbai Owl Pencil Project. I am leading the, the project for uh, the Slum Dwellers um, Education Project. I'm also um, the advisor for my daughter's Why Is Global, where I went to Vietnam, Cambodia, and uh, we have a project in Malaysia as well, and Indonesia, in uh, finding people whom we can help and to call it volunteers. Yeah, I'm also in the Big Tulip movement as well, where we empower women, and I'm also a, a volunteer in Yayasan Chowkit as well. So my mission is to provide meaning to the people I'm serving. You see? So I am providing meaning in my corporate uh, world as uh, GM of Talent Acquisition, and I'm also providing meaning in my world as a um, volunteer. I would say volunteer, not holding any position. Yeah, so providing meaning doesn't need to have position, actually. It's all from the heart. It is intrinsic autonomy. It is an intrinsic realization you must have to provide meaning to the world. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. I get, uh, I'd like to end this by asking a, a question that's been sitting in my head for a while. Are you, do you grow to be a volunteer or are you born volunteer? Wow, this is awesome question, grow. I would say... Um, both both um for me i would say i am born a volunteer because um my mom told me that since i was a kid i was already giving out stuffs to you know the street kids giving out stuffs to friends and my mom was wondering like from small you were already going to school and asking me to cook something extra for you to give out to your friends so it was from little kid that i started to have started to give and so even a day will not pass, I don't feel comfortable if I don't give even one ringgit to the cleaner or, or to the guard, you know, things like that. So I would say it is in born in me, but volunteerism can also grow because for me, I now can influence people to start to get into the volunteering world by telling them, look, try out, then you can feel um, the purity of the heart you can cleanse yourself by giving to other people so actually there are two segments here you can be born as a volunteer you can also grow as a volunteer excellent See? and especially in my capacity now that I've just won the award for the most influential global HR leader so my role is actually to influence the people around me to do good deeds so I took the opportunity of the award to actually encourage people to come come and start to give to the society and that's how I do it Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Rina, for sharing in a very short while a very insightful uh, aspect of yourself and also the meaning of paid talent and volunteers. Thank you so much. My welcome. Pleasure. Pleasure. So there you have it. You've heard from Rina Sarif. Those of you who are interested in listening to this podcast, please visit www.ifirstinternational.com.